The bards must drink and junk it. Hello, friends and strangers. Thank you for listening to Tomorrow, Tomorrow We Die. Die. Show about the trials and adventures that happen while touring as a working musician. Told to you by people who have built their lives or portions of their lives around writing and playing the music that they love. We are your hosts. I'm John Wisniewski. And I'm Jeffrey McNulty. And every episode, we'll bring you an interview with people who are out there day to day, grinding against the many odds, only to have the sound guy ask you if you know how to use your gear. Sound guy. Fucking condescending motherfucker. Of course she knows how to use her gear. Can't live with them. Can't live without them, right, Jeff? <laughs> Fucking sound guys. Who needs them? Ugh, I spent my whole Ugh. life trying to make the grumpy sound guy thing go away, and there's nothing you can do about it. There's always some you asshole when grumpy. you're on tour. There's always right, some asshole. Right. Yeah. Yep. Good news. Our good friends, Isotope, are back. Yep. We're going to do another lap. Yep. Another lap around this crazy track <laughs> with Isotope in our backpack. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, we've got an ad for him at the end of the thing, but I think it's nice to talk about them in general. And I want to say I recently went back and figured out how to use one of their plugins the correct way, and it blew <laughs> my mind. <laughs> I was like, I had to like, you know, YouTube it and like get the tutorial because it was a very specific thing that I needed to solve this distortion on this vocal. Uh Man, I got to say, it was like, I mean, like a volcano out of the top of my head. I was just like, I can't believe this thing works so much better if you do it right. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, I've been using this one specific plugin wrong. And I I knew I was doing the other ones right, but this one just worked out. And I'm happy as a clam right now. I feel like I got extra tools in my back pocket now. That's awesome. I'm happy for you. Happy Thanks. for you. That's good news. It is. A little bit of good news. Good to have Isotope back. Hey, balancing out the good news, Jeff, you got any bad news? Anything awful happen? Well, you know, everybody knows that 2020 was, for most people, a heaping pile of crap. But for some Steamer. people, they didn't even make it out of 2020. And, <sighs> uh, you know, I made the mistake of reading the Rolling Stone in memoriam that they do every year, the list of lists of lists of lists. Yeah. But, yeah, you read this list, and it's just it's a list of, uh, you know, everybody in – music, rock and roll, jazz, classical, you know, you're reading down and then you're like, oh, I know that guy. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I know that guy too. Oh yeah. gosh. And you just get quiet and, uh, you know, you keep reading. A couple of Northwest luminaries passed this year and it's a bummer. It's a big Yeah, bummer. super tragic to lose uh, Sam Jane in particular from uh, Love is Laughter mm-hmm. and Link. Yeah. He's, uh, he's been in Brooklyn for a while recently, but um, Northwest legend for a long time, played in Link, played in Love is Laughter, and then, yeah, passed right around Christmas. Uh, yeah, that one's tough. That was like the last hit, you know, of the year for me, you know, just yep. like a punch in the it's gut. Right there. And earlier this year, like in August, Burn from Unwound died. And, uh, you know, if you would have asked me at one time who the two best bands were in the Northwest, it would have been Unwound and Link. Those would have been my two favorite records. I listened to that Link full length over and over and over again. I still listen to it. You know, I got that motherfucker on vinyl. Yep. Did sound for Love is Laughter. I mean, I'm not going to say hundreds of times, but I'm going to say, you know, (laughs) many, 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 many times back in the day and really, really like that project a lot as well. Yeah. It's a rough one. I mean, obviously, when any, when anybody like that passes, it's it's hard for everybody. But, you know, Sam was one of those guys who touched a lot of people, yeah. continues to touch a lot of people. All the love to the Jane family. Our buddies with the tour stories, the other podcast from Ruinous Media, did a really touch sort of 
farewell episode to Sam. Definitely go check that out. Yeah, that's so glad they yeah. did that. Awkward pause <laughs> <laughs> while we try to transition to something else. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. It's just, you know, it's tough to think about. We don't want to think about the negatives. I think, you know, one thing that gets me, and I've said it a million times, you look at this list of all these people that passed and you think, oh, these people died, you know, this guy died at 53, and, you know, but this woman died when she was 87 and she was the first rock and roll female right. German. That's so cool, you know, and, and then you think, but why are the guys in fucking Rolling Stone still fucking alive? You know, they're still fucking torturing me with their fucking shitty music. You know oh, what I'm man. saying? I know, I know. Ugh. Any I minute now they're going to win you over, time, Jeff. Next, oh, yeah. Next tour, they're going to come through. You're going to go. You're going to love it. Oh, yeah. They're, they're finally going to win gonna you gonna over. They're pay $300,000 to go see the Rolling Stones. Come on, you you love that tongue logo. You love it. So sassy. <laughs> Oh man, I mean, I know, I know, I'm an asshole, but uh, if it's not mono, I don't like it. You know, I don't <laughs> listen to that fucking shit. But it doesn't matter. That it's my own personal opinion. But you know, the, one of those guys has got to die at some point, uh, right? Who knows? <laughs> Maybe I don't know. <laughs> I think they're gonna outlive us all. They're like cockroaches. Yeah. Well, now that we've dug ourselves out of the depression pit, <laughs> uh, <laughs> do you, got any New Year's resolutions there, Jeff? Other than trying to lose the COVID nineteen. Oh my God, that it's I real. Gained. It's real. <laughs> I, I had a little little side little sidebar here. I, I got in a little like online community weight loss challenge. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh yeah, that'd be great. That's totally what I need. Just do a little yeah. reset. But I don't own a scale, so I had to order a scale. Well, Jeff, the scale came today. Uh-huh. I was not ready for that number. Yeah. I was not ready for that number. Oh my god. Like I knew it was bad, but holy oh man. Yeah, I know that one. You know, yeah. body dysmorphia is a motherfucker, man, because right? you don't you know, it's it's really all about your opinion of what you look like. You don't know what you actually look like, you know. And all this time, time I opinion. thought I looked so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you look fine to me. I can see you from the neck up. You're looking right. great. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's because my internet's bad. <laughs> Every, you know, it, it happens. There was a time when a lot of people got depressed. I was one of them. And I sat around and I watched everything on every streaming service. And uh, now I'm sick of it. <laughs> well, here's a New Year's resolution for you, Jeff. You know what's that? Don't be on the Rolling Stone list. Right back at you, buddy. Stay off the list. That's, a, that's our number two resolution. Yeah. Be not on right. <laughs> the Immemorium Rolling Stone list next but year. But the, lo- the losing weight's important because if you're going to be on the list, you might as well look great. Yeah, that's true. Who do we have today, Jeff? We have a really good friend of mine, uh, one of my best friends, and a co-producer. We co-produce almost all of her music that she's done in her solo career, let's call it. Her name's Kelly Francis Corrado, Mm -hmm. and her music and her, I'm going to say, lifestyle and touring style is different than anybody we've ever talked to, and it's fucking great. I'm super excited about it. This chat with her was my first time talking to her, and and we've been sort of orbiting the same scene for decades now. Oh, yeah. And it was great getting to know her. And yeah, like you said, she's got a spiritual outlook that mm, it's nice. Yeah, I love super it. positive. Yeah. You're going to learn a lot about her way of touring, which is novel. And yet I think, you know, we talked to J-Bot and he tours by himself. But, you know, he tours in a big truck full of robots. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. You know, Kelly's out there with her by herself or maybe with one or two other people touring the country in a car, you know, like because the gear is small and it's electronica and you can get away with it. So yeah. pretty interesting. And, we, you know, we talked a lot about her last time, so, you know, we don't need to blow her up too much. She did 
recently released a single off her upcoming record, which is called Webs and Whispers, so we're gonna play that for you before we get into the actual interview. It was supposed to come out around Halloween, but things changed. <laughs> I think once you get done listening to this, you're gonna understand why we wanted it to come out around Halloween. There's a few spooky stories in here for sure. Yeah. Francis Corrado, welcome to the show tomorrow. We Hi, die. Kelly. Hey, thank you all. Thank you all for having me. You and I have been friends for what Shh. seems like decades, but I feel like uh, we're related at this John point. Before. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, why don't you tell us all about yourself? Like, uh, you know, how long have you been a musician, and what's your what's your action? What's your what's your acts like? So, I've been doing. Kelly Francis Crotto, like, is a solo thing. And just because I'm terrible at band names. Um, <laughs> God, I've been doing this probably since publicly 2014, but probably, like, 2011 mm-hmm. in my house and stuff, and then before that. But I'm a singer, and I'm a songwriter, and I'm a multi-instrumentalist, and basically, like, a string arranger and a beat maker. So I play guitar. Um, I try to do fancy string arrangements with my loop station for violin mm-hmm. and cello on occasion. Um, so cool. Yeah. So... Uh, Think. And I was in a band before this called Arcade, which was like kind of a Sonic Youth style band. That's how I met you. Was that uh, is Arcade. how we met? It. And then we That's were also right. teaching the first rock school camp, the rock first rock camp. Yeah, in Washington. at the firehouse. Yeah, so that was fun. That was really fun. That's how I became a teacher. That was really fun. Yeah, me too. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I yeah. guess Vera first, but then yeah, I got a call. I think I think like Shannon uh, Hausburton gave me a call, and she was like, "Hey." So you want to make like 50 bucks an hour and teach these kids Black Sabbath songs? And I was like, what? <laughs> like, is there a, like, what do you mean? Like, like, what's the catch? And I was, she was like, yeah. and I was like, I don't know. I've never taught. And she's like, no, no, you can really do it. And I was like, okay. And then it like spawned this whole teaching thing, which is a blast and like the best job ever. That's awesome. Besides touring. So you teach on the side, yeah? Yeah. It is my side hustle for sure. I teach mm. um, piano, guitar, and singing. So cool. Yeah, it's the yeah, it's the best job. John is a firehouse I kid. I am a firehouse kid. Oh, for oh, yeah. real? I literally grew up nice. as a firehouse kid. And of course, you know, that's kind of, I mean, John and I met out on the east side at an all-ages show many, many, many years ago. Yeah. That's how I found out about his band Akimbo and that whole scene, you know, that was came up through yeah, yeah. that. I, You know, I actually think I saw Akimbo a couple of times at the firehouse when I was teaching out there. Probably. So. That would have been a thing for sure. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Like, of course I know that name. Yeah. yeah. We were just coming of age during the whole like teen dance ordinance thing in Seattle, which was like basically a moment where this like dance ordinance thing was still in effect. Yeah. And um, I mean, I forget the exact politics there, but I knew it was a big deal because <laughs> I know all about it. But <laughs> we were basically we were running out of like places to play and right. And the, the laws against yeah. all ages shows were starting to get really harsh. And like, you know, the city was really cracking down. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and we weren't quite 21 at the time. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was a big fucking deal for us to have a place to play. And so, yeah, we, we would absolutely play Firehouse anytime we possibly could. That's the thing that's always surprised me about Seattle. I grew up in Chicago and I've been going to shows since I was a kid. I was super surprised because usually it's just like, if you're going to drink, you get a wristband. Yeah. If you don't drink, you yeah. don't get a wristband. Done. Like, it's always been that way. And Seattle being such a smaller city compared to, like, Chicago or New York or something, like, it was a thing. Like, it, even – and it's still a thing. It's super yeah. weird mm -hmm. to me. Because so Yeah. Because music should know no age, as yep. we all know. But Yeah. Second time I saw Jeff's yeah. band was at the old firehouse. And I remember that was the show, Jeff, mm -hmm. where you accidentally hit Jake in the face with your guitar headstock and made him bleed. <laughs> 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 yeah, he's still got that scar. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. That's like the, the first of at least two major headstock to face accidents that happened yeah. between. Dude, like like on the nose or like on, on the, the cheek? Forehead, forehead. Forehead. Like the blood was yeah, all like, onto his glasses. Yeah. <laughs> Scalp wounds bleed, right? Yeah. <laughs> so did, he keep, were... did he keep going? Oh, fuck well, yeah. He kept going. Oh, yeah. He finished the song. <laughs> and then going. after the song, Jeff yeah. literally tore off his white button up shirt and then like wrapped it around Jake's head. So it's like. <laughs> You're so. Look how sweet like... you are. You're like, no, no, I'll take yeah. care of you. So it's like. <laughs> hey, it's what I'll you got to do. <laughs> Jake with a bloody white shirt on his head, finishing the set. And then Jeff. Oh, my God. Shirtless. At the time, I wasn't ashamed. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think like the first time I saw Bloodhag, like I had to duck because Jake was like throwing books into mm -hmm. the audience. Of course, you did. Yeah, never seen anybody whip books at a show. So. You haven't been to a striper show, probably. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> is it striper? Is striper Christian rock? Oh yeah, yeah. That's oh, where yeah. we had oh, the idea. Shit. They used to throw Bibles out into the audience. I'm sure they were a lot nicer about it than we were, though. Yes, it was a gentle underhand. <laughs> yeah, it was like, <laughs> oh, my they, God. They probably just passed them out to the No, you, you know, know Jeff, they yeah. didn't even throw them. They just held their hands up, and then Jesus took the book from their hand and gently yeah, set it and into the audience. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Damn! Now I want to go see Striper. Do they even play anymore? Oh yeah, oh, they yeah. do. We'll talk. Well, we you catch them on the casino. We'll have a sideline on that. What? <laughs> Wait till you see my basement bathroom. Yeah, no, right. <laughs> <laughs> now, real quick, you mentioned that you teach or taught at the old firehouse. The old firehouse is a place that was very special to me when I was growing up. Why don't you tell the people about the old firehouse and why that place existed and why you would be teaching there? Me. I was like, is that Jeffrey or? Yeah, either one of you. Yeah, anyone. Like... Yeah, anyway. yeah. <laughs> no, you said it so eloquently. I was like, cool. I guess I was there first. <laughs> There's a thing called the teen dance ordinance, which I think you mentioned. What that really did, and I don't want to go too heavy into it, but it, there was a a law in Seattle in which uh, it made it very, very hard to have all ages shows in Seattle. And another organization that I was part of for you know 20 plus years is was the Vera project which helped fight that but before that you couldn't easily have an all-ages show in seattle city limits proper and so because of that the scene popped up through organizers who ended up organizing vera they there was like three clubs 
out in the burbs mm -hmm. of Seattle, which we call the east side. So it's on the other side of Lake Washington. And uh, the main one was the old firehouse, the first yeah. one. And it was a teen center in, in Redmond. And uh, Kate Becker and a lot of other people who it would take too long to mention got a scene going out there because they understood that young people should be able to see music, too. And that blew up into, I mean, in a way, it was almost like the greatest thing that happened to Seattle music for a little while there. You know what I mean? I mean, there's so many good bands. When I was a teenager, it was huge. I've never seen anything like it since. Huge. Like, basically, you get a flyer for a punk show. You try and convince your parents to let you go. <laughs> Luckily, my parents were cool. They drive you to the punk show, drop you off. And it's at a teen center, which is like sponsored by the YMCA. So it's safe. Or wherever. So they yeah. see that like, oh, they see the right. YMCA logo, logo. They see adults yeah. chaperoning the thing. And it's cool. So they drop you off. And you're in a line around the block, like in a music video, waiting to get in. And it is crammed with young people who are just excited to go to a show. And then like pretty good punk bands play. Like it wasn't yeah. and then bad Huge music. indie rock bands came up through that scene yeah. too huge and i'm talking modest mouse death cab for cutie i'm throwing a kimbo in there murder city devils like bands that blood brothers murder city devils watch like yes. they all came out of the scene that was just like they came up and through inside. you know this whole scene i mean it's such a vibrant scene and everyone was like it's the community like everyone's open to hear music this isn't about drink sales this isn't about money this is just about art and sharing mm. and community and connecting so it was like fire yeah it was giving kids sure. a place to just like you know, kids at that crucial age of like, you know, 12, 13, 14, totally. 15, 16, where they're trying to fucking figure themselves out, right? Give them a place yeah, to get out sure. of their house, get away from their parents, hang out with other kids, see music, experience art. And like, personally, for me, it was one of the most inspirational things to go to those shows because it not only would you see like good bands of, you know, adults or like, oh people my in God, their 20s, I want to talk about that in a second. <laughs> but like, you'd also see, you'd see, kids your age playing shows right like you'd see kids who were like yeah. 15 16 playing shows and, he, and then yeah. you're like if yeah. they can do it holy shit i can do it i'm gonna start a band right exactly it just got me going exactly. at a really early age for me i was going to the art institute in the early 90s and i remember the big moment for me was when neurosis because you know uh -huh. they only play all ages shows neurosis played the firehouse and they didn't play seattle and i couldn't get a ride out there <laughs> and i was kind of i didn't understand Dang. the east side i didn't realize i could just take a bus you know, mm -hmm. to right. go see the show. And then everybody comes back. They're all wearing brand new Neurosis t-shirts. You know <laughs> what I mean? And I'm just like, fuck <laughs> you. And that happened with like Jawbreaker. And yeah. I mean, the list went on. I mean, you know, and and, and you look at That's these old posters. One. And yeah, Gashoffer was, there's Seattle band and they're, they're young adults, but they're full grown, grown ass men. Right. And they're like, no, we're going to go play the firehouse because those Absolutely. shows go off and right exactly like that energy is totally different yeah. like that's the agenda is just to make art and share it at that point right yeah, i mean exactly it's not yeah. really about who doesn't want to play for 200 kids who are just hyped to see music. exactly we're I mean, just exactly it's like the best it literally totally is all ages shows when you play an all ages show you could play to 20 kids like bloodhead would go down and we would always play like arcada or, or Chico, California, or, mm -hmm. you know, places where they would have these all ages clubs. And those kids who were kids when they saw us, 
they would end up in San Francisco five years later and they'd be like, yes. And they'd be wearing the shirt they bought at that show. Yeah. And they were like, I saw you when I was 17. You know what I mean? And now they're at the bar, you know, and that's, that's how you make a fucking, that's how you get popular and everything else. To this day. Well, that's, I mean, that's still run into people who are in that scene now. And we're we're like, you know, late thirties, early forties who are like, dude, I saw you when I was 17 at the firehouse or ground zero or something like mm-hmm. that. Like, oh, it's dang. still so cool. Yeah, like, yeah. Everyone who's it's heartwarming. Just, like we were all there. Yeah. We were in it for there. It's cool. Kelly. Yes. You like, aside from being an old school Seattle musician and being able to reminisce with us about the good old days, you have also done a fair amount of touring, which is actually what we're here to talk I about. Have. Yes. When did you go on your first tour and what was that like? Okay. So the very first tour that I was on, I went with this band, I was in arcade and I went with this band called Impreza Folly, who became Mount St. Helens Vietnam band. Oh, okay. I don't I know if y'all that. yeah. Yeah. And we went down to California and we went down the West Coast, I think for like two and a half weeks. Nice. And it was wow. really fun. It felt more like a vacation than mm. a tour. And people were just really kind and it was really fun. And all the shows went really well, except for like, of course, like the biggest show we had, which was like at the knitting factory in LA. This is a long time ago. And I remember like I play left-handed guitar. Mm-hmm. And of course I didn't bring a second guitar. Whoops. And so like my bridge broke <laughs> at that show literally. And I was like, what? And then like- Not even I, a string, the whole bridge? Yeah, no, like the bridge just came off. Oh wow. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And then the drummer, his cymbal stand just like crashed into his drum. I don't think I've ever even seen anybody have this before. Like went right through like that, like that Tom. And oh, so we God. were like, yeah. So it was just this moment. There's three of us. We yeah. were like, and then him and I, and we're like really close. We got into a fight and we never fight and like we're on stage. Wow. And I think like <laughs> Benjamin, Benjamin from Impraise of Folly was like, you're on stage. Like do something. Like on the side of the stage. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Like totally came back and was like, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. We're here. Okay. We're present. <laughs> so good. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, how did you save that though? Because no, there there was no saving that shit. Yeah. And somehow, of course, like we got paid the most at that show, like what? for the whole tour. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We were at the knitting factory, and just because you were on this on the bill, yeah, but it was whatever. still ridiculous. But no, but it was still ridiculous. I was like, oh my god, yeah. That's so funny. So that was my first tour. <laughs> the knitting factory is such a weird venue too. You did- Tell people about the Knitting Factory. What's that place like? Oh, yo. Yeah. It's like, it's like now as I've been touring like years later, it feels almost mm-hmm. like a pay to play place. Like it's like a super yucky industry. Yeah. Weird drinking. It's on, it's like vibe. down, I think it's on Hollywood Boulevard. Like it's like down on. I, that's, see, I, I'm yeah, giving you yeah. like the emotional yeah. perspective, like as far it's as. Like, it's like space, right in the like, tourist pit area of Los Angeles. <laughs> oh yeah. Sure. That's like a right. Hard rock I that out. It's a big building. And I think they definitely have at least three rooms if not four rooms that they do shows at almost every night of the week. And so you're in a band that's playing one of the three or four shows that are happening that each have like, yeah. you know, anywhere between three and five bands playing. And it's just chaos. Like the whole, the hallways behind the knitting factory are just crammed with yeah, musicians, like trying to like find their gear and get to their stage area. And, it's one of the few places that it's just been so naked about like, you are a commodity. Like, like this is not about, this is not <laughs> yeah, about absolutely. people getting get together oh to celebrate art. This is about you right, getting exactly. people in our building to make exactly. us money. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, that sounds very yeah, L.A. to me. Very L.A. I don't even remember it. Like, after that whole thing where the bridge broke, like, I don't even remember all those different rooms. Like, I, I think I blanked it out. I just remember, like, grabbing my stuff, putting it in, like, the car, and then I went and got a burrito yeah. and just, like, ditched everybody <laughs> for, like, two hours. Fair totally. enough. That's a proper response. That nice. was my first story. <laughs> and then I didn't tour for, like, years later. And then when my – the first tour I did with this project – was kind of a trip. It was like I had posted some songs on MySpace and I got contacted by this woman named Ruth Barnes, who is part of the showcase called The Other Woman, which is like this female identifying radio show with Tom Robinson mm -hmm. on the BBC okay. Six. And she was like, hey, I'm playing your music. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> thank you. Like amazing. And then she was like, you know, if you're ever in London and you want to play on the BBC. And I was like, uh, uh, oh, okay, yeah. like I can make that happen. Like, yeah. seriously, that was like, I was like, and at that time, I wasn't even really like, I maybe was played one show like in Seattle, like I hadn't really put it out into the world other than my space. Your, your first full length wasn't out yet, though. No, not even close. I think I had like three, so like a three yeah. song demo out or, you know, just like, and so I went through this whole process, like I started to ask my friends, like, how do I get to Europe? Like, how does this happen? And I started realizing I had a bunch of contacts. So I was like, oh, wow, this is really okay, let's do it. And a couple of friends of mine decided to go. And so I don't know. Have you all booked a tour in Europe before or like in England? I've, I've been to a Europe on tour. I haven't booked it myself, though. We were always lucky enough to have other people set it up for us. Nice. So when you do it, you have to do it like six to eight months out. It's not like a state show where yeah. it's like three to four yeah. months out. Like you have to start in the spring okay. for it to be in the fall. So I like started to do that. And I started to realize I had all these friends and different things. And I was like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to go there for two weeks and just like have a great time. And like, it's going to be really cool. And at that time I had just started teaching at the mm -hmm. firehouse. And so like, that was a majority of my money was like coming from doing like these music camps and teaching, but I was still like in the beginning phase of teaching and my own business. And so like my money was like, yeah, like up and down. Always. Yeah. Anyway. So like as the tour was progressing, everything was looking really good. And then like two months before I was supposed to go, the Redmond firehouse camp canceled. Like they oh, didn't no. have enough kids. Oh God. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And that was like a $1,500 like guarantee of money yeah. for me. And I was like, Oh my God, I got to come up with this money. And the other people who I was going with the two other bandmates, they already had like, they were all set up and I was like stressing out and I was like, Oh God, what am I going to do? I tried like applying for a loan. I didn't get the loan. Like I applied for a credit card, but it wasn't supposed to come till mm -hmm. I was already on the tour. Oh. And so <laughs> I was like, helpful. Right. I was stressing. Yeah. Right. And so then like a friend of mine was like, well, why don't you contact this organization in LA called WOW, which is a women's organization that gives funding to That's singers. Uh -huh. And I was like, okay. Yeah. I'd never heard of like getting grants as an artist. Like I was like, uh, sure. And so I contacted them and they were like, you know, we've actually given out all our money, but like, why don't you contact the Grammys? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're just like the really? Grammys. I was like, wait, I was like, wait, wait, the Grammy Foundation, like for real, for real, like are you talk. And they were like, yeah, they're. And so, as a punk rocker, like I always have thought the Grammys were like this paid corporate, like built. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? Like it's not real, but they're totally legit. They like yeah. they gave me a grant, and not only did they give me a grant to go on this tour on Europe. They called me on the phone three days after I filled out the application and they were like, hey, Kelly, like, we know this isn't enough money to go on tour with. Like, wow. what do you really need? Oh, no. And I was like, That's amazing. Seriously, it's totally amazing. And it like opened my perspective to just Suddenly like the I musical the world. Grammy. Yeah. Because yeah. like, shit. you know, 
Right. No, seriously, like, they're totally legit. I was yeah. like, they're legit. I mean, like, you know, I had a three song demo out. Like I didn't have any fancy representation or anything like that at the time. To take it back a little, a little bit though. Yeah. You and I have connections to the local Grammy Association. True. True. You know, through true, the true. Firehouse and through Vera Project. And then through, through, through Vera. you know, people who have moved from those two places into the, in and out of the Grammys. But I remember that happening and being like, what the Grammys? You know, that was totally for. my response. Well, and to get the phone call was really a trip because you know I got this application and they were like, you know, who are you? Like, why are you doing what you're doing? Why do you need this money? Their definition of being in a desperate situation as an artist and my definition of being in a desperate situation as an artist were very different. Yeah. Like me, it's like if I can't pay my rent and I can't, you know, I don't have food. Like mm-hmm. that's a desperate situation. Mm-hmm. But their view was like, if you can't go on tour and like have this opportunity, which is beautiful you know we're gonna help you that's so cool isn't that wild Mm -hmm. that's 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 super that's super wild it was totally wild and then we went and had a really good time and stuff but yeah so what was that trip like the trip was really cool we actually didn't end up going on the radio for the bbc which because like at the time you needed to have all this sponsorship and you needed to have all these visas and all this money and it was just like at the time i didn't have the experience to kind of navigate it Mm -hmm. And it just kind of didn't really come together. But then we ended up going to France for two weeks. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You ended up going to France and that was a huge connection. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that was amazing. I mean, I did like this beautiful performance. Like, have you been to Marseille before either one of you? I don't remember. No, I'm shaking my head. (laughs) No. It's like the south of France. It's, it's, It's like a super beautiful, magical place. And we ended up playing like by this 13th century Byzantine church and get filmed for this blog. And you know, like, this is like my first official tour. I was like, yeah. Yeah, it was was huge. Kimbo always had the best shows in France. And France is great. There were these like, like everyone, there's the whole like thing about like French people are rude. The French are rude and uptight. Never did I ever meet a single rude uptight person in France. They were all just like salted the earth, wonderful people. And super proud of being French. You know, they're like, there's some of those French tropes yeah. that they were like super into. They're totally. Like, no, we're bringing you a bottle of wine, a nice bottle of wine for the show for, for backstage. Right. Nice. Or I know. They're like, like, they're like inviting you to right. their house. Like, like we're not bringing food to the venue. You're going to load in and you're coming to our house and we're going to cook you like a three course meal and you're going to have a nice French meal. It's pretty good, man. France is pretty great. And the shows were amazing, though. They're so good. <laughs> I know. And they set the standard. I don't know if you had this experience, like you play at a venue and they put you up and then they'll like, then they feed you. You get, they want the sound check like three hours before mm-hmm. the doors even open. But then everybody sits down yeah. and has a nice meal together. Like the sound person, the door person, the bands. And I'm like, this is beautiful. It like set my standards so high. And it's, <laughs> yeah. It's just such a shame that they, <laughs> like, didn't, they oh throw it all away by not refrigerating their beer. I mean, they had it. It was going so good. Uh, they were so <laughs> they close. You a warm beer. Oh my gosh! Oh shit! <laughs> so that was my first tour as like a as a solo artist. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so you went you went to Europe, assuming you'd get a show on the the BBC, maybe. But then you end up touring France. Pretty glamorous. That's pretty right. Nice. Well, it was just like through through various yeah. connections. Yeah. Right. I know. Right. I know. Kelly. You said something earlier about how these all ages shows were a safe space for kids to go to. And then I know that you, your last couple of tours, if I'm wrong, you purposely only went and played. I only only play safe space shows. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. I mean, there's a ton of amazing communities that I've discovered all over 
the country. And one of the most beautiful things I find about touring is like how interconnected everybody mm-hmm. is. Like my friend in Minneapolis, who I played a festival with in Seattle, will be friends with somebody who's in North Carolina. Like, and it just gives this wonderful perspective. So like people ask me, they're like, you know, you tour alone, don't you get afraid? And like in the beginning, kind of, but then like, it's like a big social event for me. You know what I mean? Like I get the opportunity to hang out and see other people's art and experience that. And I believe music and art should be for everyone, whatever your gender is, whatever your belief is, whatever your age is, like it doesn't matter. And those communities are just, I see the most incredible art and they're just amazing. I mean, there's like, I'm also part of the Female Pressure Network, which I don't know if you all are familiar with. No, No, that's something you should talk about. Okay, so the the Female Pressure Network is really cool. I met them, let me see, I'm trying to think because it's been a minute. I think I saw it in like a Fact Magazine article. And at the time I had been looking for a group of musicians to just share Mm -hmm. resources with. I wanted to join a collective. And so I interviewed with them and they've been together for 20 years. They are out of Berlin, but it's an international organization, a network for female identifying and non-binary artists. And we just share resources and we share opportunities or we get feedback or we just kind of, we make compilation tapes. And through that, I just, I started to get asked to play shows throughout the States and it just Mm. kind of blossomed. Mm. There's also like a really cool network. Like I'm sure you all are familiar with like the do DIY site as well. Maybe? No. Okay. I'm very out of the loop these days. Okay. No, that's cool. Like, I never like to make assumptions. It's a really cool site that just has listings of all different kinds of shows. There's also a site called, uh, there's a record label called Crass Lips Uh that's like Miami, Baltimore connected. And they have a list of like safe space shows as well. So I I focus on that a lot. I mean, I've had booking agents before in the past. But I, I'm like one of those artists who like, I, mm-hmm. I didn't really feel a connection to people until I started focusing more like using music, I mean, music and what I believe in and like bringing them t- more together on the physical. Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah, it does to me. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that sounds so abstract, but yeah. And for, for those who don't know, what is a safe space in terms of like, if I, if you're playing only safe spaces, what does that mean? The safe space means that it's safe for any gender, any age, any cultural background, you are welcome to be yourself and you are welcome to be there. And there's also like kind of like a, it's not like you walk up and there's like a list of rules or something on the yeah. wall, but it's, it's like known that if you don't feel safe, you can kind of lean, you can kind of speak to someone next to you, or you can, maybe, you know, somebody who knows somebody who can make help you. I, I, yeah. I mean, I feel like safe space is a place where it promotes and celebrates people of all different cultural backgrounds genders and ages that's great and that's what i believe Mm. in so i focus on that i mean like i've had booking agents before and i find a personal connection within those Mm -hmm. communities more and i feel yeah yeah, so i play them i mean like i do festivals like last year i had a great year where i played like femwave which is this incredible festival a week-long festival in calgary which celebrates Mm -hmm. safe space and visual art comedy Mm -hmm. music it was really awesome i mean they're all over the place like one in uh milwaukee uh, like there's Uh, milwaukee yeah my love affair with milwaukee we love milwaukee (laughs) milwaukee's great that's true always had a good time in milwaukee milwaukee's really amazing oh yeah is it i mean you mentioned these it's relatively easy to find these places all over the continent but yeah it, it is is it hard to string a tour together and only play these places well you know like with any tour it's like once you've been doing it for a minute right like you meet one person and then that person has like maybe 10 friends like in this yeah. state and then you talk to that person and then you play a show and then they have 10 persons they know in another state 
and it just kind of builds. Yeah. There are like times where like, maybe like one week I'll play shows like for seven days straight, I'll play a show every single night. And then the next week I'll only play okay. two shows. Like that, that yeah. happens sometimes, but I mean, there's a ton of networks right now and it's really amazing. And it's just like wonderful to witness. I mean, cause growing up, I felt, I mean, I grew up in Chicago and there was like definitely a lot of hostility within my high school towards um, people who identify yeah, as sure. queer mm-hmm. or yeah, it's pretty empowering now like as a person who's not only performing, but going to shows to see, to see this kind of yeah. support. And the hardcore scene back then was pretty goddamn homophobic and sexist and Fuck, yeah. you'd be like oh are you with the band and you're like no i'm the fucking bass player in the band i'm the guitar player in the band i'm the singer for the band fuck you you know like mm-hmm. and that, of course oh. that's still going on to this yeah. day oh dude i know so what about what it was like for you the first time that you were like you know screw it i'm just gonna rent a car and I'm going to do this tour myself. Well, it was actually, okay. So I was in this moment and it was after, I think my second release and I started to feel really kind of disconnected. I had like, I had like all the things, right? Like Mm -hmm. I had a label and I had a booking agent and a manager and like, I felt like a publicist and I felt like none of that was, and all those things are really good and they're all nice people were just not the right Mm -hmm. fit for me. And I was like, ah, something's really off. So I went to go see a seer, a psychic. Mm -hmm. Cause at that point I was like, okay, I just tried all the business aspects, like, fuck it, like, like, that's not working. So let's Uh like, get some insight, you know, at that point. And so she told me to go on something called like the triangle tour. And and the triangle tour was like, Brooklyn, Salem, Massachusetts, and Montreal. And so after I went on the tour, or I how did I start? Now say like, it got me thinking about it. So now I'm like, about to go on a tangent. So I'm trying to catch it. So I'm trying I'm, I'm like, wait, like. Yeah, I want tangent. you to go on the tangent. I love this story. Is that's why? That's where I'm. I love this story. The triangle tour. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah, tell it. The triangle tour. Yeah, and of course, like Salem's in that mix. But like, I was like, fuck it, let's do it. And so through the Female Pressure Network, I met um, this woman named Leah, and she was curating this show out in New York. And she had connected me also to this great promoter named Chris Carr, Brooklyn Wildlife, and he does amazing stuff. And he's taking like hip-hop and stretching what that means mm. he does like yeah, ex- that places does like experimental hip-hop so like for example like i was telling jeffrey before like i played with this band from mexico city and if you first heard them you'd be like oh this is like a metal band and he'd be like yeah but they're playing trap live beats listen and i was like oh okay you're right so he's like mm-hmm. stretching like yeah. what that means and so he like mm. included me in that mix so the first show that i played in new york is like probably one of the wildest shows that I played, but it's also like changed my life. It was super empowering. I, I would play the show with this guy named Sir Nate, who I don't know if you all have ever heard of him before, but only through you. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I mean, he's, he's kind of like, imagine if Beck was like an unbelievable rapper, like knew like eight languages, uh-huh. including Latin. Uh-uh. You know what I mean? <laughs> no. Oh yeah. Oh no. For real. And like plays a banjo and stuff. Yeah, totally. Just like this incredible rapper. And I opened for him through like friends of friends in New York. And we played this small place called Much More's in Williamsburg. And the show was incredible. It was like vibrant and like packed out in this little corner place. And like I sold all my merch and it was like just this incredible show. And then the promoter afterwards was like, hey, do you want to like play this loft party tomorrow night? And I'm like, sure, (laughs) I'm here for a couple of days. Yeah, the answer to that is always yes. Do I want to play a loft party in New York? Yes, right. The always yes. <laughs> like yeah. we're in New York. Like yeah. fuck it, yeah. right? Like of course, uh-huh. absolutely, right? It's New York. I know. It's like this show was so wild. It was a loft party, 
and I was with a friend of mine and I went to the door and like, you know, I have like backing trucks and I have an auto harp on me. Like I have like very minimal gear and the guy at the door wouldn't let me in because he didn't believe that I was ah. performing, which was really a trip. He was like, I don't understand. He's like, you're performing? Like, explain to me what you do. And I was like, this is the door guy, like for a loft party. Like, why <laughs> yeah, am I explaining? <laughs> you know, so I was trying to be cool about it. I was like, maybe I'm not in the right place. Or, And anyway, then the promoter comes and he's like, no, 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 come on in, come on in. And so we walk in and it's like this loft party and it's like 10 o'clock at night. It's packed yeah. out full of people. And my friend like says to me like, kind of whispers to me she's like oh shit kelly we're like in an underground brooklyn hip-hop party i was like okay let's let's throw me in this mix and kind of see what happens and we walk in and he's like you know he's in charge of the evening this guy chris carr and he's like no no you're gonna play like in a couple hours and just go set your stuff up and like there's like whiskey lemonade somebody's like frying chicken there's like this thick cloud of weed like through the whole space (laughs) i'm like okay let's like just put me let's like just roll with it and it was super funny to me too because he was like sometimes i play with like one floor tom that i that i hit like really minimally and he told me before he's like no 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 drums kelly but he had like a dj going (laughs) anyway i was like okay so here i am and i'm just like kind of looking at the scene and people are performing and it's like rap artist after rap artist and i love hip-hop so i was super excited he says i'm gonna play like around 11 or 12. it's like 132 and i'm i'm still right like like i'm like okay i'm just gonna roll with this cool but i was like i was sweating it a little bit because like the table where i put my stuff and i had all like my so i used like two di's a couple of pedals like a an ipad and like people were like setting their drinks all by my stuff. And I was starting uh-huh. to get really nervous because I was like, I need a no drink sign right there. I, and I was trying to be cool too. I was like, can you all just like, maybe not do that? Thanks. And that went on for like three <laughs> hours. So like I was trying to, do you know what I mean? I like I was trying to be <laughs> really your, nice. Your but at right one point there. I was like, fuck, you know, and I'm, I'm like still wondering like how this whole evening is going to unfold. And so then my friend Chris Carr, who's you know curating the night, goes up and like he introduces me and he gives me like all these props. And then I realize I'm like headlining this, and I'm like, uh-uh. uh, yeah, huh? So I'm like, after I'm like, okay, this is gonna be interesting. Like, so I go up to the like the sort of stage area. It's not like a lift or anything. You know, it's just like yeah. a, it's a law party, so it's like a section of a, a space. And I don't know if you all have you ever had that experience where you're like put in, t- in front of an audience that you're not really sure oh. about or like how you're oh, going to yeah. connect with them. And you just kind of it's like you get <laughs> right. And you just kind of have that moment where you're like, OK, I just learned how to swim. And you all just threw me like way in that yeah. deep end. Like, you got to bring it. Right. So I just kind of paused for a second. And I was like, all right, I'm like going to just sing my heart out and like die trying here. Like so I started everything and I just. I sang and I like kind of ran around a little bit, which I don't normally do. And this was this like wild moment, like during a break of a song where I was like trying to get back. I had like kind of run through the audience with a tambourine and I'm, I'm pretty short. I'm like maybe Mm -hmm. five, three sometimes. (laughs) Depending on what shoes you're wearing. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Right. Like, so I'm running back to the stage and these two guys, like these two B-boys, like I can't get through. Like they won't let me through. And one of them leans like leans next to me and like whispers in my ear and he's like, hey, little girl, like hurry up and get up there and sing. And I was like, oh, <laughs> shit, like this something's going to happen. 
this was so beautiful. The other guy like pushes him away from me and he's like, yo, leave her alone. Like she's dope. <laughs> and I think uh, like my heart so grew like half uh-huh. a foot uh-huh. after that message. I was like, you know, like the rest, yeah, the rest of the evening I was just like, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Lying. like yep. But it was so, it was like super intimidating and it was super, it was like super empowering, but I had no idea until that moment that like I could like I've been going to hip hop since I was a kid I love hip hop but I had no idea that I would be received sure. in that space in that audience the music I make like crosses so many genres like I don't know like I just kind of you put yourself out there you know like I mean I'm sure you all have had that experience like you just put yourself out there and you're like yeah, oh, yeah. crossed like well, I think that's uh, that's my answer too right when you're in that situation where you're at a show and it's not it's not your comfort zone right for for whatever reason and the oh, best right. way to do it is to just do it the best you possibly can that is mo- the most true to how you perform and how you you know see yourself as an artist is always yeah. the best way to handle it it's just like right. just go hard <laughs> yeah exactly right because at least you'll yeah. know that you did yeah. that yeah yeah and if you sure. if you fall on your face so. because of the audience reaction it's not really your fault I figure it's the audience's fault. Right. And this is coming from a guy who used to load in at 2 p.m. stone cold sober and play to 12 <laughs> kids and their parents at a fucking library in the middle of motherfucking nowhere, USA. Dude, that's why you're so awesome. That shit was intense. Yeah. It, I got so good at playing yeah. sober and I hate playing sober and I got really good at it. You yeah, know, because you don't want to roll into a library smelling a weed right or booze or whatever like that's not right no 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 right. no no you know? right. <laughs> i also hate playing while it's still light out. oh god yeah that's i mean let's talk about Something let's about, talk oh, about that's that. a really good point makes it so much yeah. more like comfortable right yes totally playing yeah. in the totally. light of day right at least turn the no. lights out yeah it's so intense when they're like right. 10 feet away from you and it's light out and they're looking at you and they can see you. They can oh see God. you. That's yeah, intimidating. Yeah, it's so intimidating. Yeah. I don't care if you're on a huge stage or if you're in a teeny tiny club. It's totally intimidating. Like playing outside. I once played a gazebo <laughs> at a county fair. And that right. was so fucked up. Nice. Because we were definitely the loudest thing at the county fair. Uh-huh. Except for maybe like the cars that ram into each other. Demolition Derby, like maybe that. Yeah. We yeah. played after a cowboy poet. Oh my God. And then we came on and we loaded on. That sounds pretty cool, actually. We loaded though. on. I've actually played two gazebos in my life, by the way. Nice. And we, we loaded on to this little gazebo. And, you know, our gear is like full stacks. And we right, right. Uh, cut it down because we had to move it through the crowd. So we just cut down to half stacks. But we still had a decent sized drum kit and everything and the sound engineer for the show cut us off after like <laughs> oh my gosh i think maybe we got halfway through the set maybe some books were thrown i'm not sure he cut us off and there was definitely no one we were not going to keep playing it was over like i think probably the person in charge of the place came over and told the guy hey listen this has got to stop whatever this is you know i don't know it was fun and one time we did we actually did play a huge white gazebo in um you did you do like a gazebo tour it was like a library gazebo no no tour. Well, it was a part of the library tours that we would do they'd, they'd have us play these uh, these events the and one of them was memoirs one of them was like the clack tomorrow we gazebo Oh God, we played Long yeah. Beach. We played in a big white gazebo. And that was actually a pretty triumphant show. Yeah. That was pretty good. People really liked it. I kind of live for those moments though where you get pushed out of your comfort zone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like those yeah. moments are pretty 
Yeah, those moments are pretty special because you have no idea what you're walking into. And it makes you feel alive. Exactly. And, you know, yeah. you may say like, oh, you got shut off. But maybe like you just like changed two kids' lives. Like, you know what I mean? Like who had never <laughs> experienced hope. that shit before ever. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. You, nev- you never know. Yeah. Oh, God. So one time I played a show. You all know where the Firkin Tavern no. is in Portland? Mm-hmm. Weirdly. You ever heard of that space? So the Firkin Tavern is like this corner tavern. And some friends of mine, the Harvey Girls, this is a few years back when I started to tour. This is maybe like 2014, okay. 2015. Um and they were having the release show and they set it up like they asked me in November and then the show I think was like in February or March. It was like a few months out and I was like, sure, of course. And so at the time, the Firkin Tavern was kind of like the Crescent uh, Bar in Seattle, which is like really fun drag yeah. place, mm-hmm. has kind of like wild yep. shows, just like a burlesque, like, like you don't know yeah. what to expect, kind of wild time. And so I was like, absolutely, let's do it. It'll be really fun. And then I showed up at that place, and during that time frame, it had become a full-on sports what? bar. What? No. <laughs> so, yeah. So I walked in, and I was like, huh. "What an unfortunate one." Excuse me, the other way around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was yeah. like, "Right, right." So I was like, uh, "Oh, this is interesting." And my friend comes up, and he's like, "Holy shit! I had no idea. Like, I didn't know either." And I was like, "Okay." And he's like, "Oh yeah." And the other band that's gonna play is like this eight piece horn section band. And I was like, okay, okay, that sounds cool. But the stage was like maybe two feet by four feet. Like there wasn't really a stage. You know what I mean? It's like half a foot up or something like that. And I think it was maybe like their first show or not their first show. They were clearly really good musicians, but they took over the stage. They were super not friendly. They like wouldn't let me use them. Like I had to kind of talk them into letting me use the oh, mic fun. and the mic oh, stand. That seems weird. That was really weird. <laughs> was it their gear? No, it was not their gear at all. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, so that They're was interesting. Just assholes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. He was like, "I don't understand," and I was like, "Cause I'm gonna play." What like, do you what not do you understand, mean? Dick? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's also like four sports, you know, yeah. screens everywhere. They kept the volume up for all of the different <laughs> no, sporting events like why everybody played oh yeah no they totally did <laughs> so oh yeah that is backwards right so my friend was like hey do you want to play first and i was like yes because this is like <laughs> yeah you do yes i do so they kept the volume up this band was super not friendly like i was just like it was me and a violinist at the time and then there was like somebody you have like an audience member who was like critiquing me and a table like almost like right in oh, front fun. of me while i was i was I was singing and I was like, okay, awesome. <laughs> so then like being, right? like being just a comic like, and having a heckler like right there in your face. You know? They're like, yeah, I don't know. Like if I like her shoes and I'm like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> um, and I was trying to be cool because it was my friend's like release yeah. show. And he was just like the whole time had his hands over his eyes. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And stuff like that. That's a good story. <laughs> that was like, yeah, that was definitely not a good show. That was definitely one of those moments where it was like, yeah, sports It's one bars. of those few times where Portland does not live up to being Portland. It's like, what? why yeah. couldn't this have just been like a weirdo hippie bar, please? <laughs> exactly. Like that would, I would have been cool with that. Like, are you kidding? Like incense yeah, going like, like and like, like a row reading in the back. Okay, Let's burrito, do it. Yeah. Like none of that's happening. Yeah. Oh, well. Right, oh, kombucha. Wow. Yeah, none. <laughs> that didn't happen. Oh my god. I also played this. Have you all played the? Um, I don't know if this was a bad show, but it was a, a surreal show. I feel like I've had 
more surreal shows than I've mm. had bad shows. Like we're like, I don't know if y'all have had it. We're like half of it's pretty interesting and amazing. And then the other half is like, the fuck is yeah. going on here? Like kind of like I played, do y'all know where the, you know, Arlington, Washington, right? It's like that sure. little yeah. town right before yeah. Bellingham. Sure. Okay. Did you ever play at the Merkwood Shire? I have know? been I there. Places I've been still there. there. I know what that is. Do you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes, I do. Yeah. It's a bar that's like big, but it's they have all this Middle Earth Lord stuff around and they have all these drinks and stuff, right? Of course They're you've fucking Earth. been there, Jeff. Of course you've of course been there. The <laughs> 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 and they're like, right, a gazebo out back. Oh my god. They- <laughs> <laughs> it's like this old like elks club right or like mason temple or something yeah, like big. that and so it had like a what's what's the elf place called in lord of the rings Riven, uh, do you know what i'm talking it's like God damn it. oh yeah 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 rivendale? Riven, Riven, is it rivendale yes. yeah yeah right. okay Whew. okay we got yes. it so that was the tattoo Ooh. parlor upstairs you win john know, and then there was like yeah you I win. doubted myself for a second there i was like rivendale <laughs> yeah, no but you rivendale. got it i'm gonna i'm gonna say it and be stupid it's gonna be wrong but then I said it and I was right. No, no, you're totally yeah. right. That was the tattoo parlor yeah. upstairs. That was the name of it. So everything was like Lord of the Rings. And then what was like the troll place? That was like the hair salon. Yeah. They had this whole. Yeah. So this, yeah. So the, the venue was like this place where it was all about Lord of the Rings. So who doesn't want yeah. to play there, right? Yeah, I'll do. And so the stage is beautiful too. It looks like, cause it's in this lodge. It looks almost like it's in a church and it's been like gutted mm-hmm. with the seats. Yeah. And so it was like, I was pretty excited to play there. And so we get there and then like I had my friend decided he was playing bass instead of like drums. I had a couple like, so when I do my solo thing, I have like a group of different people that I play with. Sometimes I'll play with like a violin player or a drummer and just like a handful of friends. And this particular night, one of my friends was like in a kooky mood and he decided he was going to play the bass and and he didn't tell me he was going to play the bass until we got to the venue. (laughs) So that was interesting. No, no, like, no, it was just kind of like, okay. But anyway, we get to the venue and like the other two bands don't show. No. And I've never played there. Like, I don't know anybody. Like, I don't, I'm like, okay, it's not that far from Seattle. We'll just kind of do it. And the most amazing thing was the sound person looked like he was from the Shire. He had like (laughs) thick brown curly hair. I kid you not, was not wearing shoes. He had on like little brown pants. And I was like, wow, this dude. And so instead of like us doing a longer set, we just did like a shorter set. And then at the end of the night, like they did karaoke Mm -hmm. and maybe there was like 20, 30 people there, including the people who worked there. And like he went up and sang Carpenter covers for karaoke. And it was pretty surreal and pretty amazing. Yeah. And I just kind of stood there like, wow, okay. So I've had a lot of kooky shows like that. Let's take a little break now and listen to a little bit more of Kelly's music. This is a song called The Swan
you sort of, you know, you talked about seeing a seer once before yeah. to kind of move you into this new direction that you've been in. Can you talk a little bit about that sure. and about how you like sort of organize your mental space in that way? For tour. Okay. You're like, you just asked me like three questions and like, your, what is your spiritual beliefs? <laughs> no, no, no. How do you tour with them? And how do you exist? I'm like, fuck, dude. Like, Fair enough. I'm just trying to be as specific as possible because mm -hmm. if you're asking me in relation to like rituals I do because of my spiritual beliefs, like before I go on tour that helped me, like, or if you're asking like about like the recording yeah, that's, latency, that's what I'm, that's what I'm kind of going, that that's what, what you're I'm asking going for. And that's what I was trying to ask earlier. But please talk about the rituals okay, so you do before going on tour because I'm fucking yes. fascinated right now. I'm That's so paying attention. Okay. Um, I used to be a military wife many huh. years ago. And I had a spiritual experience on, like I have a degree in poetry and social work. And like I was on the side of a mountain um, in Germany and like I had an out-of-body experience. And I wasn't like, I don't do heavy drugs. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but it wasn't like because of that. And so when I left my body, I came back and I started hearing music in my head. I didn't know what to do with it. And everything seemed really different. So I started taking music lessons. I started taking operatic lessons. I wanted to like be able to translate like what I heard mm -hmm. inside of me into like a physical form because I didn't have the skill yeah. to do it. And you had never heard that before. You never heard music before, like as a sort of. No, huh. no, not at all. I love music. I like, I love music. I went to shows my whole life. Like I was, I've been a punk rocker. Like I was born a punk rocker, but then I became a musician through this particular spiritual mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. And so that that's guided me the whole time. And it's just kind of taken a few years to make it into a physical form to get the actual physical skill. Like I took lessons, I, I focused really hard on how to play instruments. So that was that's kind of my spiritual place. I'm also part Romani. So my grandma has taught me different rituals that are very goddess related. Mm -hmm. They're not necessarily like mm -hmm. Wiccan or pagan, but they're very, it's like probably somewhere between like a feminist Catholicism and like being a Wiccan, like somewhere yeah. in between. Yeah. So she's taught me, you know, about compassion and love and truth. And okay, that's like that aspect <laughs> of it. So that's, that's who I am. That's, I'm like, well, breaking this, breaking my spirituality down here. But um, so that's why I'm as a person now, like, and that's how it's translated to music. And so right before I sing or right before I do a show, there's certain rituals and certain phrases I say, because I believe that certain tones resonate um, with people in different mm -hmm. ways. So that's through performance. Now, like for tour, Yo, I'm trying to break it's this right. down. Yeah. Okay, no, so, so for tour specifically, like I was mentioning before, like, you know, I became a musician by accident. And so I looked at it initially, you know, times were different then too, a little bit. There were more gatekeeper-y kind of situations. And, I, and I've been on a few labels and I've, I've had the business aspect that's supposed to kind of put you out into the world or be the mm -hmm. bridge to people. And a lot of it hasn't worked for me. So then I started to rely more on my spiritual yeah. beliefs. I do dream rituals. I do a dream ritual like right before I leave to go on tour, which basically is like I don't eat for so many hours. I meditate and I ask my guides to come in and give me guidance on anything I need to pay mm. attention to on the tour. I usually get a dream that night and I will see a face of somebody or I will like the last time I did it in September, I was doing a drive between I was going to do a drive I had mapped out between West Virginia and Ohio and yeah. in the dream like it told me to really pay attention to this drive and so when I went on this drive in September it was super creepy it was like where the Mothman Museum oh, was yeah. it was like I had to cross mm. the bridge with like Mothman. I don't know if you know if you all know about the Mothman yeah, stories a little bit yeah right like there's like an if that infamous bridge where people say that the, they've sighted the Mothman like I had to cross the bridge anyway I had done this dream ritual right before I went on September tour that kind of had forewarned uh -huh. me of that and my car was acting weird at that time and yeah. So 
Did I answer your question? No, like you, I said, no, you, guys, you this did. Is like a big... And, uh, you know, I'll go on record as saying that I've had uh, many premonitions while on tour, not to go too deep into my beliefs, but at one point, yeah, yeah, go for it. We were driving down again. This happened, John, in Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> Middle Oregon, around the Oregon's a trip. Always yeah. something fucking, always weird. I've always, I've broken down. There's some, and we don't, we've gotten into this before. It's the mountain but range, Jeff. It's the mountain range I, fucks it, your it, van and then you break down an hour This later. was right before the mountain yeah. range. Okay. I'm like, I look up and I see this red tail hawk sort of swoop down and Beautiful. like i mean i'm talking close in front of the van and i just got yeah, this yeah. feeling of dread in my not because of the hawk but because something Ooh. was going to happen and as this feeling yeah. was sort of sinking in i look up again you know i'm just driving and i managed to somehow stomp on the brakes and steer us over to the side of the road right before a three-car pileup was about to happen nice. and we oh, basically wow. just wow in, in a way kind of scooched and stopped and then kind of sailed past what would have been a four or five car pile wow and you know it's just weird things that happen in that way and i try and stay connected but it is really hard uh when trusting your intuition is i mean that's the great thing about tour is like I love being on tour because it makes you so pre like you are in the present yes. moment, right? You've got to pay attention to everything. Like where are you going to eat? Is the van, like, is the car going to still mm -hmm. keep running? Like, where am I staying? Like everything is like present. Until you get too fucked up and you decide to party too many nights in a row. <laughs> and then, and then you're like, Oh, my van isn't working. Yeah. What am I going to do now? You know, I'm totally hungover or whatever. Yeah. So there's definitely a balancing act. That's really hard to play. I think sometimes. I love this so much. The dream ritual before you go on tour to get. I've seen faces of people. Yeah. yeah I'm sorry to cut you off. A, a vision or some sort of guidance for something that's going to help you later. Yeah. Are there any more layers to it? I'm so just like completely like amazed by this. This is so awesome. I love it. Because I, I believe music is such a spiritual experience for myself. And I have the opportunity to share and connect with others and witness other people's art as well. Mm -hmm. And when I play shows and have that exchange, it's difficult. Like I totally drink and obviously, and like, but it's hard for me to, to drink, especially if I'm by myself playing a show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because everything's on me. So like, yeah. if something goes wrong, whose fault is it? Yeah. Mine. Yep. Your merch disappears. That's your fault. There's right. No one you can exactly. Play. But at the same time, like when I have a day off, I'll have like a bottle of wine and watch Star Trek for seven yeah. hours. You know? Nice. So in relation to tour, I do the dream ritual. I keep a journal. I try to meditate every day mm -hmm. um, when I'm on tour. And I love being in that present moment. The other thing, like with recording, like Jeffrey and I have had a lot of experiences where there's a lot of latency. Like so weird, for creepy and interesting and fun experiences. <laughs> yeah. So and it, totally. I'm, I'm serious. Yeah. So like it started with. I feel like, so it started on my second album and I had written this song uh, that was dedicated to a friend of mine who passed away in Seattle. Um, he was a local painter named Christopher Martinhoff mm -hmm. and he like went to sleep and he didn't wake up. Mm, he had yeah. had an irregular heartbeat and I had dedicated this song to him and it was like the personally, like the first time I had experienced sudden death in my life. Mm -hmm. It was a shock. And I had written this song and Jeffrey and I went into, we, we were recording and then it just like, there was a phrase, you are not alone. And no matter how many times I sang it, no matter how many times we tried to record it, no matter how many times we tried to edit it, it always came out the same way. Yeah. And so we, we just left it in because it felt like, you know, maybe his spirit was there. And I'll tell you, there was no control over it yeah. at all. So yeah. what happened, John, was 
It didn't say you are not alone. It said you are not not alone. I don't know what that means. The double negative. Yeah. You so, know what I mean? So Kelly, you would you would sing you are not alone, and then you'd play it back, and it would say you are not not alone. Yes, and we'd redid oh, yeah. your vocals, and then. Like- Half a dozen times. We'd solo yeah. her vocals and it would say you're not alone. And we'd unsolo her vocals and it would say you are not not alone. And I would yeah. there was no delay on it. I went through every track. I kind of had a little bit of a weird deal where I Dude. went through every track and listened to every single yeah. thing. And then she, we came back together, her and I, for the next mix yeah. session, and we just let it be. Yeah, you just yeah. kind of let it be. I mean, you know. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you know, and it's happened like every album that we've done since, there's been like one song where something will happen where it'll feel and John, like I don't know your beliefs, but like it'll just feel otherworldly or something feels it's not you know, like when something feels off, but it's not necessarily bad. Sure. Yeah, like yeah. things just kind of right, things so like the next album we did a song and there's a song on there uh that it was, I had, it was wonderful. I had, I was playing with um, Adrian Davies, who's in this band earth mm-hmm. and she has such like a droney, like, but it's dirgy, like, you know, and right. And recording it with her. And I was like sampling, we were sampling her playing and like, I actually can't play that song live because every time I do, like, I feel like, Oh, cool. It feels yeah. weird. Like, yeah. Yeah. It pushes you but, out you know, of your like, comfort zone. In a good way. Yeah. I mean, it's a great song. It's just yeah. and the other song. Other times, it's so mesmerizing. There's been at least two, if not three, times when we've been mixing a song and we're like, "Listen, we got to get up and go outside." Yeah, because then you... we're talking about you know working yeah. with frequencies on purpose is a thing that her and yeah. I do. I know that that's a big thing for Kelly is you know working with frequencies on purpose. It's in a key for a reason. Yeah. Like I I, inten- I intentionally write songs in specific keys. Right. So. But you know since we're focusing also on touring you're making me think of like I had kind of a uh, a haunted if y'all played Philadelphia before? Yeah, mm-hmm. Of course. And Philadelphia is a really cool city and but it's it feels kind of I mean it's a really old city, right? Like it's mm. got a lot of history and it's yeah. there's some intensity definitely within the city like the poverty there is really intense yeah right and i played this place called the mothership and it was this really kooky like row home house and i played with this great these really nice folks named destroying angel who are really great local band there and uh, going to the place and i had nick with me who's a drummer that i tour with sometimes and i was on stage singing and it was like a it was a row have you all been inside row houses before Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah Okay. Okay. It was like, we were in the living room, but it was all cleared out. And then it like had this set of stairs and then it had like a dining room. It was kind of a smaller place, maybe 30, 40 people there. But as I was on stage, there was like this moment where I looked up and there was like purple light on us and the room. And again, I was sober. Um, the room, (laughs) the room started to like kind of swirl. Hmm. And I was like, okay, this is like a strange experience. And I just kind of focused and I kept doing the set and then after I played this person who I'd seen kind of when we were loading in, she came up to me and she was kind of like, I don't know if she was, she was high on something. And she came in and came up to me and started talking to me and like calling me like a witch and like calling me these different things and like kind of waving her hands around me. Uh-huh. And then there was like this other guy behind her who kind of looked at me and I was like, okay, this is kind of a strange experience. And then it stopped. But for like this minute, everything was like swirling. And then what did they do? That's it. They just kind of watched <laughs> me the rest. But like, what was weird was like the guy was like filming me the whole time. Uh-huh. It doesn't have like any like crescendo. It was just yeah. kind of like this, like I said, a, kind of the surreal moment. This does not happen at metal shows. 
No, <laughs> not as much. <laughs> Yo, welcome to my life. Shit. Everybody was freaking the fuck out. That's what happens at a metal show if you're lucky. Yeah. No, you it's know. it's too loud for spirits at the metal show. <laughs> oh, shit. I'm sure there's, you know what? I'm sure there's stuff moving around. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Especially yeah. depending oh, on yeah, where you're sure. playing. Oh, yeah, but. You ever have like tough days on the road or like maybe car trouble or something like that? Do you have do you have any other sort of like spiritual coping mechanisms? <laughs> spiritual coping mechanisms. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a title of a new book. <laughs> Spir- spiritual coping mechanisms. Dude. On tour. Seriously. I don't I mean, I don't know if I have any other specific ones. I mean, I th- I think like like Jeffrey, like if you hadn't listened to your intuition that time, right? And and put your foot on the brake yeah. and swerved, right? I think like that's one of the things that I love about being on tour is that it makes you like, like I was saying a second ago, like so being in the present moment that you have to pay attention. And if you don't like I haven't had any car problems, like knock on a lot of things yeah. because I rent a car. And that's the other thing. Like one of the things about touring alone is that like I make sure everything is super mapped out. Mm-hmm. I have found myself sometimes in strange places like sleeping like Airbnbs where I'm like, yeah, this didn't look like a good idea now that even though it had like a hundred good reviews yeah. or something yeah. like that. Everything's very buttoned down and very planned when you go on tour. Yeah. What are your rules? Yeah. We have a thing on the show we like to ask people what are their tour oh. rules? Like what are the things that you what do you always do or what do you never do when you go on the road? I'm like I don't have more than two drinks because if I'm by myself, it's not really a good idea. Mm-hmm. I won't be safe driving. I only usually stay in places if like Airbnbs where it's either owned by a female identifying person or it's a couple mm-hmm. that has a female identifying person because I'm by myself and I want to make sure that I'm safe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a rule for sure. Do you ever have any problems with authority? Cops? <laughs> venue security? Uh, I did, border I did not. I have... No, no, no. I've had... But I've had problems with kind of creepy dudes following me around oh yeah or yeah i've had that i've had that a bunch yeah just kind of like playing at a venue or like another artist i've had that a few times on tour where they'll just they won't leave me alone for the rest of the evening Mm -hmm. which is pretty stressful yeah when you're by yourself what's the plan there how do you handle it i'm pretty straightforward as a person i mean i try to if it's like another artist you know and there's i just ignore them i just like give it space i don't pay attention to them I avoid them as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And usually that can de-escalate the situation pretty fast. Mm-hmm. But if it's like, say if it's like some person who's kind of drunk and like kind of following me and like wants to give me a hug or something yeah. like that, like I'm mm. I'm pretty, yeah, no, thank you. Well, you're from Chicago, so, so you know how to say that in the yeah. rudest I'm, manner yeah, I mean, possible. That's <laughs> yeah, totally. But it's tricky if you're playing and it's like another artist and unless they're like blatant about it, yeah. you got to just kind of navigate around it. That's been more a problem than the cops. Like, thank God. That's a little easier to deal with, I think. What about sound engineers? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's like a whole other episode here. Yeah. Huh? You ever have any fun with Shit. sound engineers? Really? <laughs> you you yeah, know I'm, that because I'm bringing that up to you. I'm opening yeah. the door. <laughs> Uh, I have been questioned a lot. Some of the stuff that I use, not so much now, but like a couple of years ago, because so I use backing tracks for shows live, mm-hmm. but I do it in such a way where I split them and master them. And so like on one one channel will be like beats and then the other channel is like samples and synths. I mean, and if you saw me perform it, it would just be like me on a laptop. So it's really not that interesting. I do it in such a way, Jeffrey and I do it in such a way where we don't compress it so it sounds like bad karaoke Mm. like it has a nice rich full sound to it Mm. and so sometimes i've noticed which is really strange when i bring it to shows i'll have a lot of sound engineers 
like ask me if I know how to use it, <laughs> like my own equipment. Yeah. I mean, that's not strange. That's just time. sexism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, like you know, I was trying to be nice about <laughs> yeah, it, but like, just, fuck, uh... <laughs> like a couple years ago, I did. I, are you all familiar with Skate Like a Girl? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, right. They're like a great nonprofit organization that empowers youth through skateboarding, yeah. right? Female identifying and non-binary mm-hmm. folks. Oh, it was such an honor. But I did a music video with the Skate Witches, which is like a skating yeah. collective mm-hmm. with them. It was a wonderful night. Tom Tom Magazine also, which is a great drumming, female identifying, non-binary magazine, like also sponsored the event. And it was just like, it was super fun. And we had like a couple other bands and the video premiered and it was really cool. But as we were setting up the show and like doing sound check, the sound person was questioning if I knew how to work my own equipment and they were male uh, and they were like, <laughs> dude. And I was uh, like, really? And we were fucking hate these people. God damn. Yeah, how about hire a so female much. sound no, engineer? Like, oh, so boring. God, stop being so boring. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, it's just like, you know, the thing is, is it's not like I come in and I'm like, I, it's not even like I fucking think about it. It's like, I'm not like, I'm a feminist. It's like, I show up and they're like, so do you know how to do this and this? And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, the fuck you think I'm doing here? Like, I brought all this stuff. Yeah. Like, I know, like, what do you mean? I don't understand. Like, I'm like, what do you mean here? Like, I don't understand. But yeah, so I've had that experience a few times. So John, like, we master her tracks uh-huh. purposely so that they can't overload a system. Yeah. They're foolproof. <laughs> They're literally uh-huh. foolproof. Yeah. One of them Once is the, the beat. Once the levels stay the same, yeah. right? I mean, always. Yeah. One of them is a beat. One of them is the music. It gives you the chance as a sound engineer to be like, oh, I wish that I had a little bit of this or I could EQ. The, you know what I mean? It gives, sure. it gives a sound engineer something to do. And sound engineers still bitch about it. Of course And I don't do. get it. We had this conversation so many years ago. Kelly, let's make it so the sound engineers love you. You know what I mean? And the, and here we go. They're still complaining. She rolls with her own DIs. She rolls with all her own stuff. For, you know just what it is, Jeff? They don't like being told what to do by a woman. I think that's yeah. it. I think that's the heart of the issue. <laughs> it's so, and it's like, really, it's dumb. Because I don't know about you as a musician. Like, when somebody shows me something new, I'm I'm psyched. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm excited to. Oh, yeah. And also, it's not being told yeah. what to do. Right. It's the artist is saying, this is what I do. Right. This is what I have. Sure. This is my art. Yeah. And still, there are human beings out there who see that as a threat, which is, I I, I can't even, I mean, I'm I'm fucking flabbergasted. I wish I could say I was surprised, but I'm not. I know when I tell you these stories, you're always like, why didn't you complain to the management? And I'm like, (laughs) really? (laughs) And you're, and you're right. Like I said, like, it just, you know, I have to say, like, it, it catches me off guard. Yeah. Really. To be honest with you, because that's not, I mean, when you show up to a show, you're like, okay, first of all, do I have all my equipment? Do all my cords work? Yeah. Can you do, you know, there's so much coordinating, yeah. like with all your gear, right? And then you want to be present and then you want to like connect with people. Like there's so much going on. And the show always goes so much better when you get along with the sound guy and, and they're yes. picking up on oh your vibe God. and you're right. like working with them. And it's just like, right. it just makes the night go so much better when there's a cool person working the board and they're like, there's no ego there. It's just so exactly. fucking awful when it's a conflict. It when is. there's friction. It's it just is. the worst. You're in their hands, kind of. Yeah. You know? And there's yeah. a lot of people who say, oh, well, you know, never piss off the sound engineer. You know? And yeah, true. To that, I say, well, don't piss off the artist. <laughs> you know, there's <laughs> got to be some sort of... And, and yeah. so, so, John and Kelly, what do you think the percentage is when you're on tour of, like, smooth running shows and then you just get this shitty sound engineer with that. You just can't work with him. 
You know what I mean? What's the percentage? You know, what are the odds? It's gotten a lot better, but I have to say it's probably like one out of eight, mm. one out of 10. I don't want to change myself. I'm not surprised myself. by that at all. Yeah. I think when Akimbo was established and we would actually play like the clubs that a heavy band would want to play when you mm-hmm. roll through town, yeah. it was fine. For the most part, it was fine. It was pretty rare that we'd actually like play a club that was not ready for yeah. a loud, loud band. We actually had it on our on our writer that you would give to the sound guy before you show up, which is that in all caps, big letters on top of the page, we play fucking loud. If you don't like it, don't book us. Like, we're okay with that. We're okay yeah. with not playing yeah, a club if you don't want a loud band in there. Um, so yeah, we had it in big letters right. on the on the writer. So I mean, everybody yeah, towards, towards the end of our career, it was fine. But earlier in our career, it was, I mean, not not often, but somewhat regular where you had you had a person who was just like, I'm not working the sound at this venue. This band is playing on my equipment. Like there's like sort of like yes. a reverse of yeah. of roles and attitude there where, yeah. where it was like the sound guy was like, I am presenting the sound to the audience tonight and the band is using my equipment to do it. You know, it's just sort of like a, a, yeah. a little twist on what was actually going on there. And um, yeah, most of the time it was stage volume. Like, like it usually starts with like, hey, you guys are going to have to turn down your amps or no, no one's going to be able to hear the vocals. And then our response was usually like, oh, we don't care about the vocals. That's fine. Like, <laughs> like it's OK yeah. if they don't hear the vocals. The vocals are garbage anyways. <laughs> and, and, they, <laughs> um, uh... and they're like, no, no, seriously, I need you guys to turn down the amps. I can't mix anything at all. And we're like, well, can you just put mics on the drums because if the amps are loud enough then just yeah. do the drums and it just turned into this like shitty back and forth yeah. where you realize that like uh, oh this is just a power struggle like this person just wants us to play to how they like to run things in absolutely right. it's yeah. a power struggle right it's like going to get your hair cut and no matter what you tell the person they're going to just do it however yeah. the fuck they want yeah and so, the, <laughs> and so right? the ultimate move for the band in this case is when the sound guy keeps asking you to turn it down you go over to your amp and you put your hand on the knob but you don't turn it you're just like, okay, how about that? <laughs> like yeah. you psych them out. You're like, that was two notches. Yeah. Uh-huh, totally. uh-huh. Yeah, you psych them out. Nice. Okay, so two things. Number one, as a sound engineer, that's that also works <laughs> on the other end. When someone's like, can I get more monitors? And your hand is on the knob. Yeah. And you're like, is that better? Is that better? And you're nodding. Is that better? And they look at you and they start nodding. And they're like, yeah, that does sound better. And you're like, I'm not yeah. redlining my amps, totally. dude. I'm just... <laughs> It's exactly the same. It, and t- let's just be fair. It was always sound guys that would give you shit. You know, I can't. You know what I mean? I can't think of one bad female sound engineer I have, have ever had in I my entire life. I can't recall a female sound engineer. Like, I'm, I'm trying to think right now. And I just, Damn. And think so about rare. that. Like, think oh, about what rare. you're saying. San Francisco, I know. It's fucked up. You know, yeah. I have. I know. And I have to interject for just like two seconds. Please. The one thing. When I played in Boston, and I've, I've gone through these stints where I've, like, played a whole week in Boston. Like, I'll play a house show and an art gallery and then, like, a regular venue. And they're always female-identifying sound engineers. And I'll even say to them, I'll be like, wow, this is the third end. Like, you know, wow, that's really cool. And they'll be like, and they'll look at yeah. me and they'll be like, uh-huh. Like, yeah, that's just how it is. And I'm like, damn, all right. That's the only yeah, that's place. Positive. I mean, that's the only place I can think I mean, of, like, where that's been the regular for me. There's a lot of venues in Seattle, you know, we've been trying. Yeah. A lot of us have been trying yeah. as hard as we can, yeah. you know, to change yeah. the system. But there's a lot of ingrained bullshit, unfortunately. We don't got to get too deep into that. I just say, you know, yeah. turn yeah. it up. Just be you. Handle yeah. it, then there was, this is kind of, you know, whatever. It's all I don't good. know if you all have had this experience, but. So I played in Milwaukee about two years ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm from Chicago, so I'm Midwest. 
as well. And like one of the things that I love about Milwaukee as that it's this town that's community supported. And I've mm. played there like maybe six times in the last two years. But the first show that I had there, I got, I found through like a mutual connection and I played this dive bar. Nobody really had like, you know, sometimes you play with bands and you'll like their music, but you, because of social media, you don't really know like if they have an audience or not. Like social media is kind of this weird ephemeral thing uh-huh. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And so like I played this show at this corner bar with this band called Large Print and this other band called Haunter. And it was, it's kind of like the Comet, right? But it's in Milwaukee. Like yeah. the Comet as a bar in Seattle, you know, that focuses kind of on, yeah. Sure. Anyway, um, I played the show. I showed up. I didn't really know anybody. And I had Nick with me who was drumming. And like, I think by the end of the night, it was completely packed. Like the whole place was like bouncing. Like we, it was just like incredible. And it was just this moment of like, I think I just made like a hundred new friends and I saw great art. And like, it's this beautiful yeah. pinnacle moment. When I think about touring, I think about the power of art and I think about how you can connect with anyone anywhere with it and what a powerful thing it is. And so I think that that's like what you're asking me. Like you're asking me for like a pinnacle story to explain why I love touring. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's amazing. That's yeah. That's incredible. right. That's that, that's Very that awesome. moment. I mean, right. Like we've, I think we've all had that moment where like when you, you tour, you show up and you're like, wow, this is, this is incredible, you know? And yeah. if you're lucky and you get yeah. those moments yeah. where the response is to the point where you're just like, holy shit, I just made an impact on these people with my art, regardless of what kind of music right. you play. And they make an impact yeah, on you, much you know what most, I mean? Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. It's a feedback loop. It's Absolutely. not just yeah. one, it's not just you yeah. to them at all, or them to you. It's right. it's a loop. And that's what people get addicted to. Yeah. And I think that's why uh, people like to go on tour and play right? kind of shows. I mean, <laughs> I think that's the real crux of it. I do. Right? You you want that like it's like like you were saying earlier, John. Like you feel alive. Like you feel. Oh yeah. You're, mm-hmm. Right. Like there's nothing like that. I love it when you have no idea what to expect. Like none. Yeah. You know that's the best feeling. Kelly Francis right. Corrado, my friend. Thank you so much for being on our show. No, thank you so much for having that me. That was amazing. That was such a blast. It was so interesting, <laughs> and uh, I I had a lot of fun introducing you to john <laughs> and the other way around i know i look forward to meeting you in the and, real uh, world I know, I know. john yes Ho- one of these days the next how about the next hopefully Showcase? our next yeah. show that we have you know our Red. where we celebrate and have the people that are on our podcast oh that'd be amazing show. yeah yeah totally uh, hopefully we'll at least be able to hang out and hoist one oh, yeah. at the very least and share a drink and, and and see each other in person so now that we've wrapped up with Kelly. Before we go any further, I want to play one more song, an older song of hers that I think is really interesting called The Bell.
That was so good. Yeah. Kelly, thank you. Thanks a million. Every time I listen back to that second half of the conversation, I just love her take. Her whole approach, her whole spiritual approach to touring, it just speaks to me. It really does. I love it. Yeah. Makes me so happy. And I love that she's like, day to day, she's experiencing the same bullshit that anyone else out there on the road is, is going through. But she just has this completely unique spin on it that just was never even a on my radar in any way whatsoever. Yeah, when I think of how fucking stressed out I would get on tour sometimes and you know, like me and some you know, Jake or some you know, someone else in the band would be just like not talking to each other or <laughs> whatever it is, right. you know what I mean? And uh, you know, maybe if we would have put a little thought and preparation into, you know, like kind of preparing ourselves sort of mentally, physically, and and spiritually instead of just monetarily and musically, you know, maybe our tours would have been a little calmer, you know? Yeah, maybe if you had some sort of dream prophecy, you wouldn't have gotten pulled over that one time. (laughs) Yeah. Man, I mean, I did. I've had some weird shit happen on tour, you know, and stuff, but, you know, I never took it that far. And to be honest, it never occurred to me, you know? um, Right. Even being interested in magic and stuff like I am, it's just never it never occurred to me to like actually treat it. You know, she's she's someone that I really respect because she's authentic and she's living her life the way she says she lives her life. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people acting like fucking witches out there in this world right now, and right. then you've got someone like Kelly who's like quietly, calmly doing it. You know, just yep. out there taking care of biz. Pretty fucking rad. Literally making magic. Yep, that's great. I'll say it again. It was really fun to watch you. <laughs> ah, <laughs> like, I know, I know. Get excited about these new <laughs> concepts with <laughs> she's bringing up. You know, like, oh shit, I never oh, thought yeah. about that. Really? <laughs> it's so cool. I know, I know. I wish, I wish I could just go back and like talk to her for another hour just about all that stuff. I know. I think we need to have an addendum interview one day <laughs> where we just go back and take notes. Yeah, yeah, we should. That's great. Well, before we go, I actually want to throw out a quick movie plug. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's hear Some people out there may have already seen this before. If it's not on your radar, definitely check it out. There's a movie that came out recently called Sound of Metal. Mm -hmm. It's like getting some Oscar buzz, dude. It's. I feel it is. I mean, it's got some tremendous acting power Uh in it. The story's great. The characters are great. Very believable. Very authentic story. And the reason I'm recommending it on this show is because, you know, the main character is a touring musician who is not in Judas Priest. (laughs) <laughs> you know, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. The representation in that film of what it's like to be on the road is very real, and and also just, this isn't a spoiler. This is it comes out right at the the first five minutes of the movie. But the band is a two piece, and they're a couple. Ah. It's a couple mm-hmm. who's on the road together in like a Winnebago type situation where they're dragging their gear behind them, which so is fair. Like <laughs> yes, and I was exactly where I was going. There's a band called. It's a band called Jucifer out there, which is exactly that, right? They are a couple who has been touring together for years and making records together for years. And that's just how they live. They live in a fucking Winnebago. With a thousand cabinets. Yep. And 20 amplifiers and a giant kit. And they just tour. Anyways, I, I highly recommend it. The film does a great job at just exposing some of the complexities that happen when you're just trying to do something as simple as like make a doctor's appointment on the road. Oh, yeah. Right? It's awesome. And it's a great movie to boot so cool highly well, it's, highly recommend it's on my list keeps kind of popping up and i'm like i don't know if i want to watch this yet and now that you say it now i'm gonna go watch it tomorrow <laughs> yeah yep do it <laughs> thank mm-hmm. you to isotope thank you to ruinous media thanks everybody for listening thank you we'll, we'll see you on the flip-flop we'll, we'll be back totally soon totally. not gonna take a long time at all totally soon real fast <laughs> <laughs> next episode coming out real quick here all right bye everybody <laughs> <laughs>
Tomorrow We Die is sponsored by Isotope, makers of software for audio repair, mixing, and mastering. We've been using Isotope and their products to clean up audio on every episode and in general make my, Jeffrey, the engineer's life a whole lot easier. Yeah, the podcast is fun, you know, we're cracking beers, spinning yarns, and flopping around memory lanes, <laughs> yucking it up. But there's this whole other side of doing this show that is all caps, real work. Oh, yeah. And it takes a ton of time. And yeah, Jeff, Isotope. Definitely makes my life easier. I've been using the RX plugin the last couple episodes especially. You know that we are on internet audio right now because of COVID and everything else. So I got to say, these plugins have been a huge help and they've allowed us to keep having fun while socially distancing as we should. <laughs> Go to isotope.com slash ruinous and use checkout code RUIN10 for a 10% discount on all their software. That's I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com slash ruinous and that's checkout code R-U-I-N-1-0. 10%. We live in a city of cranes. Tear it down and build it up again. Tomorrow We Die is sponsored by Georgetown Music, a musician-owned shop independently operated by folks deeply rooted in the Pacific Northwest live music scene. Your community-oriented source for new, used, and vintage instruments, as well as all the supplies that go with them. They're now at their new home in Burien, Washington. Visit them at 232 Southwest 153rd Street, Burien, Washington. Check out new deals at georgetownmusicstore.com. That's all one word, of course. And follow them on Facebook and Instagram to get all the latest arrivals or just call them 206-602-4324 this show is about touring musicians telling incredible stories from their lives as they remember them humans are generally pretty great but we all know that memory fades over time and that in the moment people interpret situations differently based on their personality background state of mind drugs they were on intoxication level etc etc the important thing to get across here is that at no point should these stories be considered hard facts or perfectly accurate portrayals of real events. If by some chance you were there for something that was talked about on this show or know someone who was and heard a different side of the story. If you feel we've been inaccurate or misrepresentative in any way, please don't hesitate to reach out. Help us set the record straight. Tomorrow we die podcast at gmail.com. We'll read everything. And to any road warriors out there who might be listening, we want to hear your stories too. If you have a crazy moment from the road you want to share with us, then please drop us a line on email. Write it up as succinctly as possible, please. We don't want to read your autobiography. And if we have the time, we'll read it on a future episode. Feel free to plug yourself in the band as well. Again, the email address is tomorrow we die podcast, all one word at gmail.com. And once again, I'm Jeffrey McNulty. And I'm John Wisniewski. And this is Tomorrow We Die. Find us on the internet. Our website is www.tomorrowwedie.com. And remember, that's two W's. T-O-M-O-R-R-O-W-W-E-D-I-E.com. On Twitter, we're at Tomorrow We Die PC. Instagram, at Tomorrow We Die Podcast. Facebook page is at Tomorrow We Die Podcast. Our email address is tomorrowwediepodcast at gmail.com. And the show is published on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, and SoundCloud. Podcast produced by Jeffrey M. McNulty at the Pachinko Parlor in Seattle, Washington. Additional editing by Joe Plummer and Chris Dury. Background music is by Noel Frequency Impulsor. Tomorrow We Die is produced in partnership with Ruinous Media. Check out the rest of the Ruinous Media family at ruinousmedia.com and on all the major social media platforms. Thanks so much for listening.